Well, good morning, Hope Church. Glad to be with you this morning. For those who are here or online, we appreciate that. You know, I've got some, I've got some good news this morning. I know where to find joy. And it's not just enough joy for me. I mean, if it was, maybe I wouldn't be saying this. But it's for you, too. And not just enough joy that we can kind of eat, you know, meet, meet it out just a little bit. You know, we just get like, kind of like communion, you know, just a little cupful. No. This is empowering joy that lasts a lifetime. You see, we're looking through Philippians, doing a flyover of the book of Philippians, and, and some have called Philippians the epistle of joy. Because Paul, in only four short chapters, uses the word joy in one form or another 14 times. Almost every paragraph has the word joy in it. And I think this is a critical book for us today because people are longing for and searching for joy. Maybe you don't know that, but in 2019, joy marketing exploded. Companies used the word joy in their slogans and in their campaigns. Just Eat sold the joy of the takeaway. Cupcake Vineyards asked us to choose joy. Aperol, the beverage company, believed that together we joy. And this just isn't food and drink companies. Halifax promoted the joy of that new home feeling. Or fintech company offered the joy of digital banking. (laughs) You come home and it's like, honey, why are you so joyful tonight? I did online banking. (laughs) Yes. But there's one company that's been driving the joy bandwagon for over 10 years. And that's Cadbury, one of the one top top chocolate companies in the world. Just to name a few of their campaigns, Joy Generator, the Cadbury Christmas Joy Squad, the Dairy Milk Joy Wagon, What Brings You Joy, Joy Deliveries, and Joy of the Everyday. Just a little bite. But you know what? pains me to say this, but joy is not found in chocolate or alcohol or anything new that you can buy. As a matter of fact, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. It comes as a gift with Jesus. And I didn't say a gift from Jesus. A gift with Jesus. See, the amazing thing about about the book of Philippians is that Paul wrote this letter in prison. He wasn't visiting new areas to share the gospel. He wasn't strengthening the churches. He was on trial for his faith, and it was very strong likelihood that he would die because of it. And yet he writes a letter oozing of joy. Quip. Quick recap here. In Acts 16, we know Paul went on his first missionary journey before that, and now he's going on his second missionary journey, and he's going through the places that he was trying to strengthen the churches, but he wants to expand that. And so he tries to head north, and God says no. He tries to head south. God says, uh-uh. Until finally God gives him a vision of a guy from Macedonia, from the west, saying, come here and help us. 
So Paul and Silas and his company, they go to Macedonia, and where the first city they come to is Philippi, a major city there. And what's Paul do when he gets there? Well, he probably looks for the guy, right? I mean, where's the guy in the vision? Well, he doesn't find him. But he does find some women down at the river worshiping, some Jewish women worshiping God. And with them was Lydia. She was a Greek, but she was a God-fearer, meaning she had, she had found the truth of the Jewish faith and the Jewish God. And it says that when Paul began to speak about Jesus, that God opened her heart and she believed, not only her, but her whole household. And she invited Paul and Silas and their, their companions to, to kind of use their home, her home as a, as a base camp to continue to share about Jesus. Shortly after that, sometime, Paul is uh, doing his ministry and he's getting severely annoyed by this gal who keeps yelling at them, right? So he turns to her and casts out a demon, right? In the name of Christ, you know, be gone. I'm tired of you. But this didn't really help her owners because her owners, she made them a lot of money telling people's fortunes and stuff like that or their future. And so they have Paul and Silas Arrested, beaten, stripped, and thrown in jail. We read about that in Acts 16. What are they doing? Are they complaining? Are they whining? Are they licking their wounds? No. At midnight, they are singing hymns of praise to God. And then we hear of a great earthquake shaking the place. And the jail cells pop open. And the jailer now is fearful for his life because if he lets these prisoners go, you know, so he's about ready to take his own life. And Paul and his companions say, no, we're here. Don't do that. And they begin to share Jesus with him. And he puts his faith in Christ. Not only he, but as he and his whole household are baptized. So Lydia and this Philippian jailer and others like them began to be the nucleus of this church in Philippi. And they began to join Paul in his ministry. Even after he left, three times they send gifts of monetary gifts to support him in his ministry. Well, Paul leaves and, you know, he heads to Jerusalem and he eventually is arrested and eventually makes it to Rome where he's imprisoned. And so they don't see him for two years. And so they're wondering, how are you doing, Paul? And so they send Epaphras to go and to see how Paul is doing. And with them, they send a monetary gift, again, to, to make this prison life a little more bearable. And so he writes a letter to send back with Epaphras, and that's the book of Philippians. And unlike other books of Paul, it's not, it's very little is corrective. There's a little bit of it, but he doesn't correct false doctrine. He doesn't correct false teachers. He doesn't really correct bad behavior. It's really a, a thank you letter where he tells them he loves them, thanks them for their, for their ministry and support, and encourages them to continue to share in the joy that we have in Jesus. So from this letter, I want to share with you four reasons you can experience an empowering joy in your life. And if you know, there's four chapters in the book of Philippians, and these themes are kind of captured in the four different chapters. 
So the first reason is this, the Jesus gift of righteousness. And this is kind of captured in chapter 3. Paul begins chapter 3 with, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul shares how he, in his journey, he was trying to become righteous. Righteous enough to be accepted by God. Right? And he had quite a pedigree, his background and so forth. And he, he tried to obey the, the law meticulously to make himself accepted by God. You can read about what he writes in chapter 3. But he came to a moment where he realized it wasn't enough. We can never be righteous enough for God because we are all sinful. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then the moment came where he realized this gift that God offers. Verses 5 and 6. I consider them rubbish. What he says is all my efforts to try to become acceptable to God were rubbish, worthless, a pile of dung. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. See, that was the anchor of his joy. That we cannot go to God, up to God, with a righteousness of our own. Instead, what God does is he comes down to us in Christ with his righteousness. That's what radically changed Martin Luther's life. He was a priest in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. But he was wrestling with this, knowing that he wasn't righteous enough. can never be enough. And he was reading Romans chapter 1. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It is a gift to be received by faith. And if it is a gift, that means that you can't mess it up. Jesus has already lived it. It is, as we said, in the books. He lived a righteous life. And it's not up to you. So when you aren't righteous, you haven't destroyed it. Because it's a gift received by faith. And you notice that little phrase here, that I may be found in him. That I may be found in him. It's a beautiful picture about being found in Christ so that when, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sin, but he sees us in Christ and the righteousness of Jesus. Kind of a word picture, maybe especially for those of you who are Harry Potter fans. In one of the gazillion episodes of Harry Potter, I don't know how many movies there were, but, but Harry receives a cloak. It's a cloak of invisibility. Right? And so when he would put this cloak on, the bad guys couldn't see him. He was invisible. And this is what Lovegood said about that. We are talking about a cloak that really and truly renders the wearer completely invisible and endures 
this is a phrase I like, eternally, giving constant and impenetrable concealment no matter what spells are cast on it. What Paul is saying is that we are cloaked in the righteousness of Christ for all eternity. And when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. If you do not, if you believe you don't deserve what Jesus offers, you don't deserve God's love, you don't deserve God's favor, you don't deserve to go in God's presence, you're right. And that's the whole point. None of us do. It's a gift that is received. Second of all, second reason, Jesus' power to transform. And this is kind of captured in chapter 2. You know, in our journey in coming to Christ, there should come a point to realize, we realize that, you know, we are sinful people, every one of us. And it should be a desire that kind of wells up in our heart is, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to be that person who hurts myself, who hurts others. That person who is known being selfish. That person who is dominated by whatever sin you may have been dominated in your life or in my life. I don't want to be that person any longer. And Paul realized that God's grace not only saves us, but God's grace transforms us. Maybe you're a Marvel fan instead of Harry Potter, right? We could have, we could have a discussion on who's the best superhero, right? Captain America, Iron Man, awesome. Or some of you, the big green guy, right? The Hulk, Hulk smash. But you know, Bruce Banner is just, he's just Bruce Banner. He's just him. I mean, he's just a scientist, geeky scientist guy. But something happens to him, right? A power that is not his own enters his body, gamma rays and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff, however it happened. But now, because of that power, he becomes this invincible beast. It transforms him. And that's what happens to us in Christ. Paul prayed this for the Ephesian believers. He says, he, I, he prays for them that they would experience his incomparable great power for us who believe. That this power is available to us to transform us, to become more like Christ. And this is something we are to take for granted or take lightly. And so in chapter 2, Paul writes to them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. For it is God, creator of the universe, working in you. And you know that word work that's there? It's the Greek word from which we get the word energy, energo. It is God who energizes you. He's the one who changes your heart. 
changes your mind, begins to change your perspective and your desires to will what he wants you to will. He's the one who, who starts to change your purpose. It is God's transforming power that brings great joy. That's why earlier Paul said to the Philippian believers, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. Each of you should not look to your own interests only, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The same as, as Jesus? My attitude should be the same as His? How is that even possible? Because it is God who is at work in you. Empowering joy. You know what would be awesome some morning is just to hear stories of how God has worked in you and how He changed you from the person that you used to be to who you are. I'm sure some of us would, would maybe be a little shocked. Like, you, you were what? <laughs> you know, you did what? But that's the beauty of the gospel. We all have our broken stories. But God begins to work in us. And keeps working, keeps working. So in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will continue it until he comes again and, and finalizes that beautiful work, making you more like Christ. Can you imagine that moment when you no longer have to wrestle with sin? That glorious moment. That's where joy comes from. The third reason you can have this empowering joy is Jesus' abiding presence. And this is kind of captured in chapter 4. Paul begins chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Right? I told you this letter is oozing with joy. But he goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Maybe for some of you today, that's, just, that's the only thing you need to hear. You need to be reminded. Maybe things are going on in your life and challenges and stuff and it seems like God is far away. The Lord is near. Jesus promised the disciples, I am with you always. So chapter four is really just the implication of what happens in our life when we realize that Jesus is near, his abiding presence in our life. Because Jesus is near to you, you do not need to be anxious. Verse 6. I think maybe some of you chose to drive the truck today because you are carrying a truckload of anxiousness. Right? Those joy robbers. Whatever circumstances or situation you're facing becomes bigger than the reality that Jesus is near, the Lord of the universe, who cares about you so deeply, is near. The one who is able to give you mercy and grace, new every morning, 
for whatever you'll face is near. When we see him having his rightful place in our life, really everything else should compale in comparison. You know, I think of the movie Beethoven. Uh, some of you remember the big dog, Beethoven. In one of his movies, you know, his owner, one of the owners, the boy in the, in the house, is this little scrawny kid, right? I don't know, it's like, how can you even stand up? He is so scrawny. But unfortunately, this kid is being bullied by some kids in his neighborhood. So he's on his walk to the neighborhood, and these kids show up. There they are in front of him. And I can't remember if they push him down, and he loses his glasses. But he's, you know, he's had enough. He's like, I've had enough. And so he stands up, and he raises his fist, which probably to them like two pieces of bubble gum on toothpicks, you know? I mean, like, you know, he stands there like that. What well, he doesn't know is that Beethoven, this massive beast of a dog who could just chew these bullies up like Alpo, right, comes up behind him. And the bullies see Beethoven, and they run for their lives. All he knows is that he's standing there like this. So the next scene, he's in his bedroom in front of the mirror, showing his muscles, which he has absolutely none because he thinks it was because of him. But it was because Beethoven was near, right? And who is Beethoven compared to Jesus? Jesus is near. And so because of that, Paul says in verse 6 again, you can pray with thankfulness. Because Jesus is near and he hears you and he cares. And he is working what is best in you for eternity. Important clause there. Not always what we think is best in this life or for this life, but for eternity. He is working what is best. Because the Lord is near, Paul says in verse 7, His peace will guard your heart and your minds like an army. His peace. And probably one of the most familiar verses in, in Philippians, Philippians 4.13 because the Lord is near, he says, Paul writes, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. No matter what I face, I can do all things. I can be faithful. I can be courageous. I can continue on because of him who gives me strength. Because the Lord is near. And for Paul, that might have been even he knew in dying. In dying. I can die well. Strong in Christ. Testifying to Christ. Even in my death. It is possible for you to have this kind of relationship with Jesus. Aware of his abiding presence in your life. Jesus died to make that possible. Not just for Paul or me, but for you. To know that Jesus is near. And the fourth reason is that Jesus entrusting mission. For Paul, what was almost amazing is God's grace that saved him and God's grace that was transforming him and God's grace that, that, that made just the reality of Christ being near to him was the fact that God gave him a mission, entrusted him with the mission of Jesus. Jesus entrusted Paul 
He even uses the phrase, God gave me this grace, this mission to serve him, the honor and the privilege of serving him by testifying him to all people. And we think, well, what a bummer. I mean, Paul couldn't do that right now, right? He was in prison. He can go to new places. Uh, not so fast. Not so fast. Because you know what? When Paul was in prison, <laughs> what was he doing? See, it wasn't him captive. <laughs> it was the guards who were a captive audience. Six hours a day, a guard would be chained, one to Paul's right, one to his left, all around the clock. So four sets of guards would be chained to Paul. And Paul was free to say whatever he wanted to say. He could talk about Jesus as much as he wanted to those guards. And an amazing thing happened. If you look at the end of book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, all the saints who are with me send greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. One of the most powerful men in the world at that time. There were people in his household, including his elite guards, who were becoming followers of Christ because Paul was in prison there. Paul said, even if my life is being poured out, he says, Philippians 2.17, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I mean, if the last bit of my life can be spent talking about Jesus, I rejoice and I'm glad. And Paul obviously shared this honor with others, this privilege of, of serving Christ. And, and these Philippian, the church joined him. They joined their hearts with Paul. They joined their lives. They, they joined their finances numerous times to share in the mission that had been entrusted to him, but not only to him, to them as well. And so he begins this letter, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They join their lives and their hearts with Paul to share about Jesus. His mission became their mission. And you know what? As I think over my life, the greatest moments of joy come when I join with others to serve Christ, to pray for others, to share with others, to try to love others in the name of Jesus. You know, I've had the privilege of serving with some great youth leaders, especially being a youth pastor for 10 years, and loving on these kids. And you know, this is VBS week, starting tomorrow. Believe me, I know, my wife is the director But you know what? There's over a hundred people from Hope serving this week in VBS, joining their lives together, their prayers, their time to try to love on these kids from Hope and their friends and from the community to teach them about Jesus. 
I guarantee you at the end of this week, there's going to be some tired folk, <laughs> right? But I also guarantee you there's going to be people filled with joy because of what they were part of. Just to be clear as I wrap up this morning, I am not asking you to pursue joy. That's what the world does. Pursue joy. Self-actualize. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Get all these things and things that all these Snapchat and Facebook and all these things say that you need to be happy. Pursue that. That does not lead to joy. I am asking you to pursue Jesus. That's where you find joy. When you realize how much Jesus loves you and was willing to do to communicate that to you. When you realize that Jesus came down, he left the throne room of God and came down to serve you, to live a righteous life so that one day he could offer that to you as he takes away your sins. When you realize that Jesus wants to work in you a beautiful masterpiece of who God wants you to be. And you get a glimpse of that little by little. Because <laughs> he doesn't overwhelm us. It would be a little overwhelming. But little by little, he works in us, changing us, transforming us. When you discover a little bit more and more of that, his abiding presence in your life, that Jesus wants to walk with you every moment. When you realize that Jesus has a purpose for your life, it's more than just serving yourself, but pouring yourself out to others. That is where you find joy. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for this small letter that Paul penned in prison so many years ago that is still powerfully being used by your spirit to speak to us. And Lord, I'm sure all of us would confess this morning so many ways we've tried to seek after joy and happiness that have just left us empty. But then you, Jesus, come into our life to bring true joy. You say, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who has not responded to your precious gift of righteousness, that today they would confess their sins and brokenness and embrace you through faith and your gift that each of us would embrace through faith your power working in us that you haven't ever given up on us. You continue working in us through your power. May we through faith claim that more and more and believe it and trust it, looking to the presence of your spirit in us. I pray that through faith we would learn more and more to see your presence in our life, that you are near, that we wouldn't allow circumstances and challenges and struggles 
to evaporate that truth, but that that truth would strengthen us during those moments. And Lord, that we would by faith trust that you have a mission for us, an important mission to intersect lives and hearts with the life-changing message of Jesus. Lord, use us. And in doing all that as we pursue you, Lord, that we would experience your empowering joy. In Jesus' name, amen.